Good morning, Sun Valley Church. Welcome to the Voice of the Valley. Again, I have Pastor Rick with me in the podcasting room, and we are. He's it's been awkward. a long morning. You've been awkwardly stretching now, so. Well, I didn't mean to be awkward about it. But we are here to talk some theology. But before we get started, Rick, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing well. It's been it's been a full day. Yeah. Um, but a, a good day. It has been for it you. It has been a full and good day. Spoke yeah. at um, St. Andrew's, or Emmanuel Classical School's chapel this morning on the Reformation. Whoop, whoop. You know a little... Brought the Reformation little fire. Little yes, you did. Um, I'm sure you did. <laughs> and then, so that was fun. And then met up with someone for a couple hours. Uh, just an old... Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, someone, someone I haven't seen in a while. Yeah. around town and that was good and then i've got someone wanted to come in like here in a little bit and so i said hey we got to get this podcast done now yeah so here we are so we're gonna it's we're the gonna, first time i've seen you today right we're gonna we're gonna avoid the 11 minute banter so today that's so, me how you doing i'm i'm good i can't complain can't complain had a good weekend had a low-key um day off on monday now Student Ministries party night was was great. Yeah, it was a it good was. football game. It was seeing Bo out there, yeah, just crushing it, crushing it. Yeah, no, we um, so we recently purchased a van for the church, and we put that to use on the Friday White Pearl. Night. The White Pearl um, students not not too keen on that name. Well, they don't they didn't buy it. So, <laughs> yeah, like thank you for your opinion. That doesn't matter. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so you pay for it, and then we'll talk. Yeah. Abby liked it. She liked that name. Yeah. Well, I, I think she might be one of um, about uh, 20. So, because I, I got flack for it on on um, Wednesday, last Wednesday. So, Well, tell them that they can name it if they watch the Luther movie <laughs> that they hate. <laughs> <laughs> it's his Reformation Day after all coming up. Yeah. Um, they they would bring um, the Reformation fire to me if I made them watch that movie. So they just don't like it. I don't stick know, to your I convictions, my friend. I am a convictionalist, but not what necessarily do to you. <laughs> a lot, apparently. Um, Glad you're well. I'm well. Yes, I'm well. I'm doing well. I'll I'll, I'll tell you what they can do. Nothing that God has not providentially ordered for them to do. Mm. You know, my mind went straight to Romans 8. I could see those cogs turning. It, straight to Romans 8 is yep. is where my mind went. because mm-hmm. The what, hair on that Romans part of your brain was standing up right through your head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, Rick, we're talking about uh, God's providence today. God's are we really providence and we're not talking providence hospital we're talking God's isn't that in perfection. portland or is there one up up here too i think there's i think it's like a like a chain not oh. just like a single. providence but maybe it's just a single i don't know i don't know but uh m- m- more importantly we're talking about the perfection of god's providence that god is providential god, god is providential yes in his ordering of things yes yeah that's a good one. I um, love it, it. I'm excited to talk about it. Um, John Piper was obviously excited to write about it uh, because he wrote a 700 plus p- 
page book on God's providence. You have it, don't you? I do. Did you read it? It's a paperweight. It kind of holds my stuff down. <laughs> holds holds my other books down. Um, I started it last year and and um, I got partway through it. And like to page twenty. Uh, two. <laughs> page two. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, um, I forgot that he wrote that yeah. until he uh, he talked about it. They asked him a question about it at the Puritan conference. You know, one of the elders sent out the the Q and A. Piper and MacArthur. Had a an open had a Q and A hosted oh, yeah. by Nathan Busenitz okay. at okay. the Puritan conference. Yes. I forgot yes. that conference was even happening, I but I did too. at the elder's suggestion listen to that Q and A, and it was really, it was good. It yeah. was it was fascinating to listen to. I mean, two guys. I mean, fifty years in ministry right. for MacArthur over that over fifty years in ministry, and Piper probably about forty. Yeah, it's just a lot of wisdom there. Yeah, and but they brought that book up, okay. Providence, okay, and how he went about writing it. Yeah. How did he go about writing it? Well, he, he um, <laughs> I guess that is a natural question to what I just said. <laughs> I didn't want to take the time to explain it, but I will because you asked. He got a, a NASB Bible okay. and read through it for like two years, highlighting everything in a certain color that seemed to deal with God's providence, okay. and then highlighting everything in another color that seemed to pose a challenge to that, and then okay. got had his staff just simply type up the texts and he got like 60 page of just scripture texts that were broken down into the categories that he had, you know, he had collated. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then he took that and he wrote that book. He just systematically worked through the scriptures, expositing and dealing with the, the issues and wow, kind of makes you want to pick it back up again, doesn't it? It does. Kind of makes me want to pick it up for the first time. Yeah. But I didn't. I use it for an arm workout. (laughs) <laughs> just, I was noticing. Yeah. <laughs> You're mostly doing biceps with it, aren't you? <laughs> um no, the first couple pages that I read were great. Yeah. Um so I'm What's ex- it about? God's providence. <laughs> what does that mean? No, Rick, that's the question that I'm gonna ask you. What do we Got mean there first? What do we mean by God's providence? And why what do what do we mean? Why is it so important? Why does why does Piper spend seven hundred pages writing about the providence of God? Well, to put it mildly, because it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's a massive um, part of what Scripture presents about who God is mm. and how the world works and what is our relationship to um, to God in the things that happen, especially with reference to us as His elect. Um, God's providence is, if I'm going to take a stab at a definition of some kind, um, God's providence is him actively upholding all creation down to the most minute detail, okay? So God upholding all things down to the most minute detail, cooperating with his creation in everything that happens so that all things happen according to his perfect decree. So we're getting into God's sovereignty and his ordering of all things. But what's crucial about it is that uh, this happens in such a way that he's not responsible for sin, and we actually make real choices for which we are held accountable. Hmm. So um, let me say that again. God's providence is his actively upholding all creation down to the most minute detail and cooperating with his creatures in everything that's done so that all things happen according to his perfect decree, 
yet in such a way that he is neither responsible for sin, mm-hmm. so he's not the author of sin, mm-hmm. uh, and we actually make real choices for which we are accountable. Hmm. That would be what we mean by God's providence. So uh, often we'll use God's providence. John John used it actually in his sermon on Sunday, um, but then he also used sovereignty quite a bit throughout his sermon on Sunday. So when we're talking about the providence of God, is this the same thing as sovereignty? Are those two in one, or how does that work? Um, inseparably related and yet distinct from each other. Okay. Yeah. Um, functionally, we can. I think we can functionally use those two terms as synonyms. Okay. Right? And so, like, in normal conversation, if we're talking about God's providence, you could probably substitute the word sovereignty. And when we're talking about God in his sovereignty, X, technically we're probably speaking about his providence, mm-hmm. but it's still fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, so this here's how I see the relationship of the two. God's sovereignty is his power and authority over all things, okay? He is God. Being God, he is sovereign. He has the, he has the power and authority over all things. All things were made from him, through him, and to him, yes. Yeah. His providence is his sovereignty in action. Okay. Doing the things that he's decreed to do. He has the power and the right to do it, and then in his providence, he does it. Okay. Um, I think that's how those two things relate. Okay. And, you know, we see this in place. I, I told you, this is in the most minute detail. Most minute detail. We see this in places like Ephesians 1.11. Um, and this is pretty all-encompassing. Um, just this is kind of the high-level brass tacks. Really, how encompassing is God's work to do his decree mm-hmm. in creation. How detailed does it get? Mm-hmm. Um, after this incredible passage about God choosing us before the creation of the world, um, in verse 11, Paul says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. Right? So we have our being predestined as as the children of God um, to be saved according to God's purpose. Now, what is God's purpose? Um, well, it's obviously our salvation, but beyond that, it says the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And I, I suppose we could just look at what what all things means, um, in which case we would get the snarky and accurate response that it means all things. Mm-hmm. Um, classic. Classic. <laughs> classic snarky preachers irritating people i love it but no really though um all things are worked according to the counsel of god's will and so if you say well what about my decision to eat the muffins i did this morning Mm -hmm. um yep according to the counsel of god's will Mm -hmm. yeah i was just doing a word study real quick on or like a, a word search at what word is behind all things there um in its ta panta. Ta panta, which means all things. <laughs> yeah. It's like all nations, all the peoples in the Great Commission. Same yeah. word. Right. Which peoples are we supposed to go to? All the peoples. Yeah. All the people groups. And so the same things that, that gives us our comprehensive Great Commission mm-hmm. is the same extensive, comprehensive nature of God's working things 
down to the subatomic level according to the counsel right. of his will. Right. So that there's not a stray atom or quark or electron or neutron. Like everything is working according to God's providence the way he's designed it to. Okay. And so we think about the laws of nature, right? Well, we think, well, you know, but don't atoms work a certain way, like predictably? Uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. this is the foundation for science. God's providence is the foundation for our ability to do the science. The science. Because without a predictable universe that worked according to the laws that God has in his providence put in place to work a certain way, unless mm-hmm. he intervenes, mm-hmm. which is a miracle. Like, that's literally the definition of a miracle, is God intervening in a normal, natural process. But it's not like a natural process that just exists. It's God's providence ordering things according to those laws so that things work the way they do, exactly as he decreed they would. Mm-hmm. And yet they're really moving. They're really doing real things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, down to that level. Mm-hmm. So... So, um, naturally people could, could have an issue with this very thing, um, particularly when it comes to salvation. I know we already talked about this in a previous podcast, but you know, somebody, somebody might say, you know, well, you know, currently Rick, I just grabbed a cup of coffee and I'm about to take a sip of it. Ooh, you hear that? I really just did that. Beautiful. You really did. You chose to, you looked at me. I could see it was intentional. I know. You I had a, you intentionally didn't cheers me with my water bottle <laughs> that I'm holding up. So, not too late. No, okay. Um so so people people have an issue with that. Why why is that such an issue with people um that this this idea that God has providentially ordained this to actually take place. He's seen to it mm-hmm. that this takes place. Um but I'm the one who actually did that. Why why do people have such an issue with with that yeah well (laughs) it's because we want to know that we are actually making real choices um sometimes people are motivated motivated by an intense desire to have autonomy uh other times it's because there's i mean there's something very fundamental to us as humans that we are meaning makers like we are out doing meaningful things and the the Mm -hmm. things that we do have real consequences in the world. They have real impact in the world. We want to know that our prayers are meaningful. We want to know essentially that we're not wasting our lives. Mm -hmm. And what could seem more meaningless than just being a robot, Mm -hmm. moving around a board on a track that's been preset? Right. And like, sure, my wheels are, my robot wheels are moving, but only according to the track. Right. What meaning is there in that? Why do anything? Yeah. So I think that's really what's behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it's really an issue. Like I don't think it needs to be a problem, because I think I think that viewpoint that we're just robots in a divine drama is a fundamental misunderstanding of God's providence. Mm-hmm. So there's not. We have to simply. We have to simply say, okay, let's back up from. What, we're con- what our concerns are to, to get to our... St- and this is really where we have to go with everything. What does God's word teach? Right. Let's divide these two things out. Right. On the one hand, how extensive is the providence of God? How total is his exercise of his sovereign will? Mm-hmm. And, the, and the answer clearly from scripture is um, completely... You know, Ephesians one eleven isn't the only place that teaches that. Right. 
we see in Daniel 2. I mean, really, this pro- prophecy, as, as believers, we love prophecy. Mm-hmm. Like the hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, the things that happen in Jesus' life that are down to the detail. Mm-hmm. Those are, they work because God's sovereign. Providence is real. Yeah. We treasure it. We rejoice in it. It's the basis of our hope that he's coming back. Mm-hmm. But in order for those things to happen, then God needs to have determined that they will happen, which is why he can prophesy them with such clarity. Mm-hmm. The book of Daniel, for example, the statue um, that, that Nebuchadnezzar builds, and the, and, or the vision, um, Daniel 2, the vision that he sees of the statue with the head of gold, the chest of silver, you know, the thighs of bronze, and then the feet of iron, and then iron and clay. Um, that's a really detailed prophecy of 400 plus years of world history yeah. at a, at a global geopolitical right. scale. Right. And you're saying, well, God, did he, was he the one orchestrating that? Yeah. Uh-huh. So much so that it was the detail, like you get into Daniel 11 and 12, the detailed prophecies of which kings will rise, when, what will happen, whose wife will then leave whom, and just, I mean, it's so crazy that liberal scholars think that Daniel was written after the fact because mm-hmm. they can't even begin to conceive that right. that level of prophecy would, would happen. Right. But we have a provident God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at that level, um, Acts 2.23, people's choices, you know, the Lord of glory, you crucified. Yeah. And yet... How does Peter pray in Acts 4 about that? How does he? I don't know. You do know. How does he, how I, does he pray? I'm trying to not have a monologue here. <laughs> loop you into it. You remember honestly, how he honestly, I can't remember. You know. <laughs> well, in Acts 4, he's released from prison with John, mm-hmm. and they're praying. And mm-hmm. in Acts 4.27, he says, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles yes. and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever oh your hand. Yeah. Who is he talking to? The people. No, he's talking to God. He's praying, dude. He's praying? <laughs> dude. Yeah, wake up. Oh, man. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm you listening. Sure? I'm listening. You really had a relaxing you, day no. yesterday. St- I think you're still on it. <laughs> still, you're still your day yeah, off. Yeah, no. Continue. Continue. He's praying, he's so he's praying. talking to God. Mm-hmm. And he says that these people did everything that your hand um, and your plan had predestined to take place. Yes. But who? But in Acts 2, like it's definitely the people right. and the rulers who are responsible. Right. So is there, any, um, is there any question that God is at work in the details of people's choices to bring about his will? No. No, there's no question about it. Our redemption required it Mm -hmm. and thanks be to god it works that way so we take that out and we go okay scripture do you teach this and the scripture says yep god is most minutely sovereign over all things nothing's outside his will yeah now let's ask another question does scripture teach that we are responsible for our choices yes that we make real choices that we have moral accountability yes absolutely that's the basis for the final judgment acts 2 Acts 2. What does Acts 2 say, Jared? I can't remember. Yeah, totally. Like from beginning to end. In fact, it's one of the things that makes us image bearers of God. Right. We have moral accountability, right. deter- self-determining responsibility. 
And so, so we have two so, truths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So so there's there's the two truths. Yes, we are, we we have our own you know wills, but it's all determined by God's will. So so naturally, somebody would say, well, how can I be accountable if this is something that God has, you know, already providentially seen to? Yeah. I'm opening to Romans nine, and we've gone here before discussing this. Right. Um, and I think I think the answer really is what Paul says be, to to literally that question, as it applies to God's sovereignty and our salvation. You will say to me then, well, why does he still find fault? In other words, why are we still found guilty for our sins? Mm-hmm. If you know, and then here's the follow up question Paul asks: For who can resist his will? If his will is that total and that comprehensive and that detailed then how am I still be being found accountable for my sins? Right. Um, and he says, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? And the answer is yes, of course. But what Paul doesn't do is he doesn't allow someone to get away with saying, so I'm not responsible for my sins. Right. So that's another thing that Scripture clearly says from start to finish. God is holy. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13, how, how can you look on evil? No, no evil can dwell with you. So we have a God who's holy, who never commits evil. James 1 tells us he, he tempts no one to sin. Mm-hmm. Why do we sin? We, are sin? we sin when we are tempted by our own what? Flesh. Our own desires, yep, it, which is our flesh nature. Mm-hmm. We want to sin. We originate our sins. I've never committed a sin that I wasn't fully complicit in, Hmm. in deciding to do. Hmm. Whatever else is going on, what Scripture does is it gives us kind of a behind-the-scenes look at, as you are deciding to do that, you're also accomplishing God's will. Mm -hmm. God is working even in that. Um, And yet, God does not delight in your sin. He hates it. Mm -hmm. He must and will judge it, mm-hmm. either at the cross or at the final judgment. But you did it, make no mistake. And so even as you were acting as an autonomous being in that decision, God is also at work. Right. Right. There's a doctrine for that. It's called concurrence. And that really is the answer to the question. So, um, Rick, as you were talking... Uh, my mind went to two different stories in the Old Testament, uh, one of which is the story of Job. Yeah. The story of Job, uh, we, we see that God actually calls up Satan and says, have you taken notice of my servant Job? And he gives, he gives Satan kind of this, this reign to basically do what he wants to Job besides kill him. So... I think naturally somebody would say, well, what do you do with a story like that? What do you do with it? Yeah. In, in, in light of, in light of, of what we just discussed here. Um, weep with those who weep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Romans 12. Yeah. Be a good, be a good friend to Job. Yeah. And I'm being, I'm, I'm avoiding your question for just a moment. <laughs> Um, yeah, and that's where I think we we need to see what where does God go with it yeah. in Job. Um, where do he, does he ever 
because Job wants to know. Right. Job wants to know why is this happening. I, I, I can't I can't think of any overt sins of rebellion. I mean, I, I live my life in the fear of the Lord, and yet I'm a miserable man. I wish I hadn't been born. Mm-hmm. Um, you get these profound and terrible reflections uh, mm-hmm. of a man in anguish mm-hmm. that that anybody with a, a heart can can only look on and say, yeah, I get that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, and Job's friends add misery. <laughs> and the, the interesting thing is they don't... I don't recall... I mean, I haven't read Job yet, um, you know, for probably a year. So, but to my recollection, his friends don't really come out and say a bunch of heresy. Right. Like, they say a lot of true stuff about God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've kind of always had this s- s- soft spot for, for the young friend that comes along at the end and waxes eloquent partially because, um, I can be long winded, uh, po- this podcast, notwithstanding, uh, I can, <laughs> and I myself am young, but no, and he says some stuff you're like, well, yeah, right. Yeah, but then, but all of them are dismissed and God shows up and God doesn't answer the question. Mm-hmm but he does reveal himself Mm -hmm. and it gets to the point where this is exactly where Job goes with it Mm -hmm. in Job 42 in verse three. Um, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Mm -hmm. Therefore I put my hand over my mouth, basically have mercy on me for who am I to speak? Mm -hmm. And Job recognizes that really he was on, on point at the beginning. And this is what only um, the work of Christ in a believer can produce because right. this is so not us. Yeah, that's good. In, in our own strength, it is good. his 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 reflexive response in faith when he loses his children, his livelihood, his mm-hmm. the stock market of his mm-hmm. cattle were destroyed, mm-hmm. and he, and he goes, "The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Mm-hmm. Blessed be the name of the Lord." And we to which we say, "Give us more faith." Yeah. That is, that's when you know you understand the doctrine of God's providence, right. is when you can say that. Yeah. Because to ask the question, what about my free will, is, is for you to still be on center stage, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I think it betrays the fundamental orientation of a heart that wants to make sure that we, we've done it. Right. It's not determinism. It, de- determin- determinism denies free will. That's actually a theological position that denies that there is free will. But but no biblical thinking person opens their Bible and and says that there's no free will. Otherwise, the final judgment is a sham. Yeah. Because it, he very clearly holds them accountable for the sins that they committed. They committed. Right. Right? Concurrence, which I mentioned a few minutes ago, teaches that God is provident in all things in a way that's working together with our real choices. And the outcome is both what we chose and the, the reaping of what we have sown in a way that is exactly as God ordained it to be. Hmm. And this goes in our mystery box right. of worship. Right. The secret things, like you mentioned last week, the secret things belong to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like beyond what we've said, Scripture's just not that interested in giving us an explanation. Right. And we're either going to worship in response or change our theology. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend we don't do the latter mm-hmm. because that, that would be to walk away from truth, mm-hmm. not toward it. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, this is 
Augustine is debating Pelagius about these things in the 300s, the yeah. 400s. And Pelagius is condemned as a heretic because he, he, he defended unfettered free will to the point that he left the bounds of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, obviously, this isn't something that this podcast is going to resolve. So sure. We're not that good. Sure. And we've only got the three people who listen. So, I mean, it's like, okay. I don't even know what Acts 4 says. <laughs> So, so naturally, we're going to solve the mysteries of the universe. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, That's good stuff, man. Well, Rick, I just recently went through the book of Esther with the students. Um, what was that? That was, that was, that was Sunday, in the spring, yeah. Sunday seminars. Spring, yeah. Sunday seminar. Yeah. And that book is a book of God's providence on display. But the thing is, is that God's not mentioned once. In that book. In the Bible? In that Bible book? In that Bible book. Yahweh is not mentioned. God's law is not mentioned. Um, Normal things that that would be in other Old Testament books um, is not mentioned. So... So give us give us kind of a breakdown of of that book. What is... How do we see God's providence being played out through the book of Esther? (laughs) You just want me to cover 10 chapters real quick. Quick. Just super you quick. Have, you have 10 seconds. At which point the listeners are more than welcome <laughs> to pause the podcast and listen to the book of Esther on their drive home mm-hmm. or read it. It mm-hmm. won't take that long. Great story. Read it in family worship over the next couple of nights, then come back and, yeah. and revisit the podcast yeah. or just take our word for it. Yeah. Um, so, okay. What's going on with the Jews at this point in history? Well, Cyrus made the decree mm-hmm. to go back to go back home and build the temple. Anyone in the kingdom can do this who is a Jew. And yet most don't. Why? Well, I think partly because there had, they had been accustomed to the life that they were living in Babylon, right. which then became Persia mm-hmm. because the Medo-Persians took over. And that's what we see happening you know, midway through the book of Daniel. Yep. Well, and now another Persian king has arisen, um, Ahasuerus, and Esther and her uncle Mordecai, uh, are are there mm-hmm. uh, in Susa, the capital city. Why? Why are they there? Well, I'm, actually, I don't know if they lived in... I think they lived in Susa. Well, they, it, devout Jews probably would have gone back. Right. So there's a case to be made that they were where they probably shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. And, well, but that decision, as we've seen already, was a decision that they made and yet was within God God's mm-hmm. plan. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and and then you have King Ahasuerus's decision to, um, well, backing up Vashti, his queen's decision to disobey something he had said as her mm-hmm. husband and king, which leads to her being banished. Uh, then Ahasuerus's decision to essentially sleep with all the the virgins in the empire, <laughs> which is gross, and it's it, you're like okay, and out of all of these women, for this Jewish girl, right to be the one who strikes his fancy. Mm-hmm. That's God's providence. Mm-hmm. God works. Proverbs tells us he turns the heart of kings wherever he wills. And this king's heart was turned toward Esther. His lust was turned toward Esther. Right. But whatever right. the case, she becomes his queen. Um, you have this Mordecai discovering a plot to assassinate the king simply because he's in the right place at the right time to overhear the plot. And then he goes forward with it. That's God's providence, mm-hmm. that he was there just at the right moment. And, and even the way that the author writes it 
is just like a you almost laugh out loud as you're okay. reading it and you're just like yeah and it so happened that it's like this is funny um then you have the king's favor toward mordecai as he learns of the fact that he saved him but how did he even learn about mordecai's uh act of yeah he he had insomnia that night yeah and it just so happened that the king couldn't sleep. So yeah. he's like, read me a story. Yeah. And then he d- reads him that story. Yeah. He's like, wait, whatever happened to this guy, Mordecai? We got to yeah. honor this guy. Right. As Haman is offended by Mordecai and builds a 70-foot gallows to, yeah. to impale him on, which happens to be in his courtyard when, uh, due to some clever plotting, you know, by not plotting, but like clever twist of um, just clever thought on Esther's part. She makes a banquet for the king to try to, you know, cozy him up to letting him know that, hey, I'm a Jew, by the way, and Mm -hmm. Haman's about to kill my people, Mm -hmm. which means I'm dead, and I'm your queen. What are you going to do? And and Haman, it just, it all unfolds in such a way that you're like, this is crazy. What are the chances? And then Haman gets hung on his own gallows that he happened to build because he was torqued off at Mordecai. And you're just like, well, I know what the chances are. Uh, 100% or 0%. Because the only two numbers, and I tell people this when they're struggling with something that's going on in their life, or most often when they're anxious about what will happen, I don't know if I'm going to get this thing that I, you know, I've been working my whole life for, or I don't know if, you know, my kids are going to X, Y, Z. Sure. Well, when we're talking about God, who's at at work at that level, the way we see in the book of Esther, Mm -hmm. Nobody could have planned those things. Mm-hmm. N- none of those things were being planned by the ple- the people involved, and yet they were very much active in it. And that's where God is seen, even though He's not named. Right. And when it comes to God, the chances are a hundred percent or zero percent, because the only thing that matters is His providence. Our our job is stick to the text. In other words, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Do what he's commanded. Go take dominion in the world to his glory. Study his word. Love your wife. Teach your children. Do your job in a way that sets you above your non-believing co-workers, not so that you'll be glorified, but so that God will be shown. Um, Serve your neighbors. Evangelize the lost. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things you're anxious that the, the world's anxious about, they'll be added to you. Why? Because your father will see to it. Mm-hmm. And there's a whatever I'm worried about happening, and this really is what God used to effectively cure this dark, uh, like really dark, couple years long um, bout of anxiety that I was succumbing to mm-hmm. years ago years mm-hmm. ago what it was realizing there is a hundred percent chance that this is the will of god for my life in which case i will not be able to do anything to avoid it uh, or a zero percent chance that it will happen but my worrying isn't going to change god's purposes right. but what i know from scripture is that god's purposes are good and what i do has meaning and so right now i'm not living a very meaningful life by being anxious mm-hmm but I can actually start to trust God. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that, we see those things coming out through Esther. It's just an awesome book to read. It is. I love that book. I love that book. Um, you know, and, and thinking specifically of this book and and 
kind of what's going on in our world right now, I think people can get very anxious of, of what tomorrow might bring. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and, and so how does, how does the providence of God help us moving forward day to day as the world seems to be falling apart around us, when we have leaders who are incompetent, when we have, um, you know, inflation <laughs> skyrocketing, like, oh. Yeah, uh, dude, and I I struggle with. It. I still right. don't hear me say I'm not anxious. I don't get anxious. Right, I do. Right, uh, but how do we? How does the providence of God address that? Yeah. Well, it is. The, these are the glorious things. Like that, I think you said at the very first week, we started looking at the perfections of God. Um, these matter. Who God is matters because it changes everything for us. Um, and if God is sovereign, and he exercises that sovereignty in his providence, and he promises us in Romans 8 that his providence is only, only exercised for our good, even if we don't understand what, how, what is happening is good, Mm -hmm. then it means that nothing's random. I, I can't imagine a more terrifying thought than that we are simply slaves to the random. Right. And despite the best laid plans of mice and men and whatever we can concoct, it might be the stray bullet from a drive-by shooting that that ends my life on the way home, right? Or the random steering of a uh, you know steering wheel that that turns into me and sends me off an overpass, right? Or whatever. Like it's just nope. God is there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, going going back to the the story of Esther. Uh, I tend to be in on the side of things that Esther and Mordecai weren't actually all that faithful of Jews, um, because twice leading up to to the point where uh, Esther finally says, "If I perish, I perish," uh, Mordecai tells Esther, "Don't reveal that you're a Jew to the king." In 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 essence, basically, don't don't tell them that you're a Jew because if you do, you're gonna die. Type of thing. Um, but throughout that story, as it's being played out, we see God's providence being played out. We see, we actually see this this trust in God, whether it's mentioned or not. Yeah. Um, if I perish, I perish. Uh, and so, you know, thinking about thinking about the current events, how how the world's going, or how it seems to be going. Um, how do we get to that point where we go? If I perish, I perish. Well, I think that only comes through. Uh, well, look, look what happened in Esther's case, right? It was like it, finally she'd been backed into a corner. Mm-hmm. Like she's gonna die. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right? You know, if right, this right, happens right. to the Jews, right. she's dead anyway. Right. It's just kicking the can down the road yeah. until that that day that had been set. And so, but that's that's kind of I think for us a better way is is meditating. About on these things, letting them shape our prayers, mm. rehearsing the scriptures that teach the providence of God, memorizing them. If you struggle with anxiety, actually literally writing them down on an index card, writing a few um, of these verses that will be anchors for your soul, so that when you are anxious, you can remind yourself, yes, the providence of God is good. It doesn't mean that my way happens necessarily, but God will give me strength because he promises it for what he's ordained and called me to. And he loves me. He loves me. Yeah. It's the trust of a child. When you see your child, when they when they are about to do something, you know, have to do something that they don't want to do, and you say, I know this doesn't make sense, but daddy loves you. I'm holding your hand. 
let's do this. And sometimes through a quivering lip, they go, okay. Mm-hmm. And they walk forward. Mm-hmm. That's, we can glorify God with that kind of trust. And that's exactly the kind of trust he's worthy of, that he's proven, not that he needs to prove anything to us, but that he testifies to in his word and that delights him. Yeah. And and I would say, you know, look at Esther speaking of, because I'm with you, I think that there was a lot of unfaithfulness. I think, you know, there's a good case to be made that they should have been back in Jerusalem. Right. <clears throat> um, but they weren't. Right. But but God used that too. Right. And some people who are listening to this may think, I got a lot of stuff in my past. I have made a lot of decisions, and there are a lot of sins that I, I should have done right. something differently, and now how am I supposed to move forward? And it's like, well, yeah, well, who is provident even over those sinful decisions? Right. And if it wasn't for the decisions that you made, you wouldn't be in the position that you are now for God to do the thing that he's about to do in you, through you, and for you. So let's just leave that with him and ask today, who will you serve? Hmm. That's freedom. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's a great reminder. Hmm. Well, in, in, and going back to, to Job, and we'll finish here, Rick, um, going back to Job, you mentioned that, that God doesn't answer Job's question. Job, Job goes through this of why, why is this happening to me, you know, for 30-something chapters? Yeah. Why is this happening to me? And God doesn't respond to those questions. He reveals himself to Job. And, that's, and I think that's, that's part of our answer when we're going through those times of like, why is this happening or why, why? you know, the, the why questions. We need to we need to remind ourselves of who God is, and that's 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 part of the reason why we're we're going through this podcast is we're we're trying to remind not only you and I, Rick, but yeah. the people of Sun Valley of who God is, and and the plans that He has for us, which Lord willing leads to worship, leads to repentance, just as just as it did for Job. Yeah, I, I was hiding out in the stairwell. Um, a couple Wednesdays ago, waiting to pick up Avi, and you were you had gone over time in your teaching, and I was listening to you. <laughs> um, what you were saying about Psalm seventy three? It was the night you were teaching on Psalm seventy three, mm-hmm. uh, which is a very precious psalm to me because I was going through a very difficult time um, about five or six years ago, uh, and I was starting to be tempted toward some thoughts about God that I had never been tempted toward before, um, and it it really shook me up. Hmm. And somewhere during that, in my heart's response, I was reading Psalm 73, and I connected with the psalmist in such a way that he gave words to me for repentance that I that I couldn't that I wouldn't come up with on my own. Hmm. And you mentioned those words um, during that time that I was listening to you and judging and evaluating you, and, <laughs> and you did a really good job, by the way. Um, you are a good teacher. Um, so he's responding to the prosperity of the wicked all around him, right. and he's wondering why, why, why are all the bad people getting the good stuff, and the righteous are perishing? Like, what's going on? And he's just in anguish, and oh, he's kind of angry about it. And then he says, uh, "When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish hmm. and ignorant. Hmm. I was like a beast towards you." And I was like, "Wow." Lord, have mercy. I've been Mm -hmm. a beast towards you. I've been Mm -hmm. thinking thoughts about you. And it's not that I didn't have an accurate perspective on the situation. Sure. Like, it wasn't that the facts I was dealing with were wrong. Sure. And it wasn't that this guy wasn't actually seeing wicked people prosper. Sure. Like, the injustice of that was actually kind of 
he was kind of justified in being upset with that. Mm-hmm. But then it's where he went with that, with toward the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then he says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. Mm-hmm. That's providence. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. And what changed it for him was, I think, and you said this that night, where did he go to get clarification? To the temple. He went to the temple. Mm-hmm. He went to God. Yeah. And that's where we're going to get the same clarification yeah. and the same faith that responds that way when it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And it won't be, do I, how involved is God in this? Is he really, or do I have free will? That's mm-hmm. not the question any of the Psalms ask at that level. Mm-hmm. Nope. It's God. Let's yeah. get a glimpse of him. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for your Thank you. Thanks for your encouragement. And to me. Personally. <laughs> You're welcome. Glad to do it. Yeah. Yeah, meant it. Yeah. Church, we, we hope and pray that this has been a an encouraging podcast to you, uh, one that will help you. Uh, on your way today and the weeks to come. Um, We look forward to being with you on Sunday as we gather as the body of Christ to worship and on next Wednesday for the Voice of the Valley. What are we talking about? Do you You, know? You know, when you were talking um, (laughs) earlier, I was trying to figure out what we're actually talking about. (laughs) Was this our last one on the perfections? It might be. Which might be getting into questions. Yeah. We might be moving into the questions next week, so... Um. Yeah. Ooh. If this if this is the final perfections uh, podcast that we have, it was a good one. Yeah, it's not a bad way to go out. Yeah. And there's like so many we haven't touched. Yeah. Really. So yeah. For anyone who's like, no more. You know, John's recommendation a couple months ago, Stephen Charnock, I'm sure would be. Yeah. A great study. Yeah. It's it's bigger than. Uh, Piper's book on Providence. So, and then that Mark Jones book you re- you re- referred yeah, to that's a great for little book. you know for the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, church, we love you.